ahead. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I am your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Sarah Ezrin with us. She is a world-renowned yoga educator, content creator, and mama based in San Francisco Bay Area. She is the author of the award-winning The Yoga of Parenting, which I just finished reading, as I told her this past week. So I'm very excited to have you on today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, I went <laughs> always first... good to talk to moms. Oh, yes. I want to dive in first with yoga. So I would mm. love for you to share your story of how you first were introduced to yoga and how that came into your life. I know you shared a little bit in the book, but I would love for everyone else to kind of learn that journey. Yeah. I mean, it, it was actually, it was not a clear line. I mean, it never is. Um, I was introduced to it in college. I mean, I'd heard of it, right? I mean, it was, it was still quite counterculture in those days. And here I'm going to age myself. So this was 2001. And like, you know, I, if you did practice yoga, it just wasn't what it is today, right? Where everybody's, you know, been to a yoga class or you see it in advertisements. It, it was quite a counterculture then. And so when I turned 19, my dad sent me this box of like gag gifts to imply that I was getting older, which is, you know, now at 41, I'm like, har, har, <laughs> But in that box, include you know, in, in addition to like Ben Gay and whatever else he'd thrown in there, was a yoga VHS. And my college roommate in the, at the time, we both put it in. We were prepared to make fun of it. We were like, oh, what is this? This is going to be so lame. And instantaneously, both of us were like, I love this. I am like, we started doing it all the time. We were, I mean, not to say that we got healthier right away, you know, so we were still 19 and having a good time, but um, it was, it just planted a seed. And, and then, you know, it was always something that I just, I did in more healing moments in my life. Um, and I got really, really, really into it when I was in my twenties and working in Hollywood. And it was a nice balance to the long hours and the intensity and the like high fight or flight, constant nervous system. You know, um, it, it was just, it, there was a lot of yelling in, in those, in that industry and especially in my office. Um, and then my mom got sick. She was diagnosed with lung cancer and, uh, you know, I, it was just kind of one of those moments of like what am I doing? And, you know, if this is what I truly love, mm -hmm. I'm going to pursue it. And uh, so, I mean, I found a teacher training that was right around the corner and I, you know, I, I had started to do both. So I was still working in the industry and I was taking my teacher training, um, which is kind of remarkable. Like I got very lucky. I worked on the Paramount lot and it was right mm -hmm. around the corner from this yoga studio called, um, which at the time was center for yoga which ended up being the oldest yoga studio in all of LA. And it, it very quickly became my home studio. But when my mom got her terminal diagnosis, because we knew she had the stage four lung cancer, but when they called and said, you only have a few months, I walked out, I walked off the lot and was like, mm -hmm. all right, see ya. And just fully into my yoga life. And thankfully we got a couple more years with her after that. I got like a good year and a half. Um, so she, she got to see me start my teaching. She was there to support that. And yeah. Yeah. She's been gone for 13 years now. Wow. Yeah. So sorry. And I know you shared that in the book and, you know, you can see how much she meant to you and oh, I'm so sorry about that. Um, I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about your yoga practice now, you know, kind of how it's changed as you became a parent, how does that shifted maybe, or maybe it hasn't, you know, how has that kind of looked in your life? 
Well, I definitely redefine mm -hmm. yoga, right? So I, and, and I was the same, like when, when we were 19 and we're like yoga, like we were imagining people in like funny unitards, like doing poses because everybody for some reason was wearing the unitard, which is amazing because they're all back right now. I like, I have mine. I love it. It's my favorite, especially as a postpartum mom, I have to say like hack if as postpartum moms, if you feel, or parents, if you feel like your belly is rolling, right. All, all yoga pants now roll and it drives me nuts. I got yes. the like one piece and it's been life-saving. <laughs> so that's my little, that. uh, I'm not even going to plug a company, but that's just like truth. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, it, it was in those days, I, I think that was very physically focused. I mean, obviously what yoga's original intention was is different than what the West had kind of turned it into and adopted it as, but at least my understanding, there was a lot more of the physical focus. The poses were the most important thing. And, you know, you, you showing up to your practice and what you ate and uh, everything was, was really circling around the physicality of it. But as I dove deeper into the philosophy and into the texts of it, and as I started to create my journey as a mom, and, and I, I would it very much include pregnancy in that, um, I, I realized that it, it's so much deeper than that, right? That yoga at its core is a practice of connection. Um, the, the style and lineages that I study are about, we talk about stilling the mind and like much more about meditation. The poses really were designed so we could sit for meditation and access that deeper connection. So, you know, where I was in my early twenties and like obsessed with doing like hours of yoga a day and every decision I made really was about like, how's this going to impact my practice tomorrow morning? Now, I, I mean, I count, I didn't move my body yet today, but I count the morning that I just spent with my son solo. I told you before we started, I, it was just me and the baby today, which was rare. I count that as my yoga practice, you know, just smelling his scalp and being as present with him as I possibly could. I'm still going to move my body later. I, you know, I just, I have to, but, um, yeah, it's just that redefining, you know, and, and in that way, I, I think all of us, any of us that are in relationship and living in this world are practicing yoga. We just may not know, label it that yet. I would love for you to share a little bit about like, how do you stay present during the mundane moments, you know, as you have mm -hmm. with your 16 month old and, you know, share, I'm like, I have a six month old and some days are repetitive and, you know, you're like, how do you stay present when you might be doing things that are, don't require much brain power and, you know, showing a toy and colors and, I hear from moms that, you know, they're like, oh, I, you know, try not to check my phone or try not to have TV on, you know, how can you kind of really drop in and just let that be your practice? Well, I want to say, you know, first of all, I check my phone. <laughs> we have TVs on, like, I, I like, let's be very real about that. Um, and, and the goal, at least for me, what I've decided in, in our family is that the goal was not to be always present and keyed in. Mm -hmm. Something that I read, which was amazing, um, and it was uh, the Radiant Sutras is the transliteration, but it's from a, a tantric text. And it's it's this type of meditation where, you know, most everybody has this misconception that when you meditate, it's about emptying your mind. But a lot of the yoga traditions and especially mindfulness, which is more from the Buddhist perspective, but they're related, is about focusing deeply on one thing to the point where it's almost like an, a, an absorption. But in this text, there are meditations where you actually let your mind wander, where wherever your mind goes, you're following it. 
Mm-hmm. So like sit, you're just sitting and you're just letting your mind go. It's like, oh, you know, got to pick up that piece of cereal. Why is that dust all over that thing? Oh, I got to book this thing. I got to do this. Oh, my kid, you know, I miss my other son. Like just following that and the awareness of it and the being fully present in your own wandering <laughs> can be a form of meditation. So, I, you know, and I, I share that because we are in a very unique stage in our lives as parents of children under the age of 20. Um, You know, I would say we were probably caretaking deeply up to like 25, you know, Uh, but but when they're living under your roof, it's a very unique situation. We're not meditating in some cave somewhere. We're not meant to be uh, like trying to disconnect from reality, just like we're not trying to be so honed in on the moment that everything else kind of falls apart. Mm. So I just want to normalize that like, yes, for sure. We do want to work. You know, we, we have these moments where we are present, but it is more than okay to have those moments of letting your mind wander. It's just the being aware that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm going to zone out right now. I'm going to check my phone for a few minutes. I'm going to turn on the TV and give myself a mental health break. I think it's very, very, very important because the reality is, is like we can't be keyed into one person 24 hours out of the day. Um, and, and, you know, and the, those mundane moments, I, it, it, you make me laugh because I remember them with my first, but now having two toddlers, I'm like, oh, there's no mundane moments over here. <laughs> it is full throttle from the second they wake up to the second they go to bed. But, you know, I actually, the, the mundane moments, you know, where things are quiet and everything's settled or like, oh, those are my breathing, my breathing moments. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just want to normalize, like, it's, it's okay to disconnect as long as you're choosing that disconnection, that it's not, you're not unaware that you're disconnecting, that you're like, okay, I'm going to zone out and just listen to the birds while we're at the park. I'm not going to play this game right now. And I'm just going to sit here and watch the leaves blow, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and obviously keep them safe, but and not, not have to engage. I think all of that is, is totally okay and important and just different ways of um, managing our, our energy and our self-care. Yes, I completely agree. And I always, I made like a post when my little one was really little, I was like, Oh, what Mm -hmm. show did you watch while you were breastfeeding nonstop around the clock? And everyone has a show. Everyone, (laughs) mine was monk for this time. I don't know why I was like, last time I was diagnosis murder. I am, I like my old school (laughs) mysteries. And so everyone, it was so cool to see, like everyone has their show and just like to normalize that. Cause I think a lot of the times too, especially in like the yoga Ayurveda community, they're like, Oh, we gotta be no phones and just focus. And it's, I mean, really most people have something going on. Cause it does get, I mean, you're tired. Like at night I was still, and I still do. I have my phone. At least I put a podcast on cause my son was up five times last night and I yeah. have to feed him and I'm going to fall asleep. Otherwise I'm like, I need a little podcast in my ear to keep myself awake. And, you know, just having those little moments and I asked my mom, I'm like, how did you do this? She's like, I have no idea with four kids. (laughs) What did I do to stay awake? I am not sure. Yeah, probably, you know, our parents, it was a different generation. I'm like, how did I survive the eighties? I don't, I don't understand my son. Like I'm like watching him like a hawk and yet he manages to get the most dangerous thing into his hands every time. And I'm like, and I know they weren't, I was the youngest of five. I'm like, I don't think the cleaning supplies were locked away in the same way. Like, how how did we survive our childhood? Well, that is something else I kind of wanted to go into is you talked a little bit about, you know, intrusive thoughts, especially Mm -hmm. in that postpartum period. And I 
loved that you were just so like, this is thoughts. Cause I'm like, Oh, I've had those thoughts. They're thoughts that like, you don't share with people again, cause your fear of judgment and people being like, Oh my gosh. But a lot of us, again, normalizing, we have them, we might've thought them and doesn't mean you're going to make them happen. But like, these are things that constantly kind of play in our minds. So could you share a little bit about your own maybe journey with postpartum anxiety and depression and, you know, intrusive thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think we need to like, look at a couple, like take a quick pullback real quick, just to like mention I've, I've been dealing with anxiety most of my life. You know, um, I, I actually was misdiagnosed as bipolar when I was Mm -hmm. eight, but, um, now we know it was generalized anxiety. So I've, I've long had a history of anxiety. It's not that it came out of nowhere. And then my son, my eldest was born December, 2019 which means that the shutdowns happened when he had turned like 10 weeks old, 12 weeks old. So we were suddenly on an island. Like not only was I on an island because I was a first time parent or because we didn't really live near a ton of our family. All of my husband's family was on the East coast. My brother was in the city with us, but he also had a toddler. So it's like, he didn't, he was in the weeds too. He was not there was no way he was going to be able to reach out. My dad doesn't live near us. So, and then of course all the shutdowns happened and suddenly I couldn't go to my mommy and me group. I couldn't leave the house. Like I, you know, the the fear of the unknown in those early days had just kind of sent me on a trajectory. And I thought being somebody that's highly anxious, given the circumstances of the world, I'm like, oh, maybe it's normal that I can't leave the house. (laughs) Maybe, you know, for me, maybe this is my baseline that I just like, it's really difficult to wash my face today. And as the world started to slowly reopen and, and it was very slow, but, you know, we, we were looking for a house to, to move into too. So I thought, you know, let's just like throw a match onto the Tinder box. Let's, let's move, let's move and let's buy our first house. But, you know, so I, as we were like going into different stores and I, it was specifically a Home Depot parking lot. I remember I had Jonah in, I can't remember if he was like in the stroller or if I was holding him, but I just got completely floored and like mm-hmm. all the fears of like, this car is going to start. I'm, I'm not even going to say the fears because you, you, I don't want to trigger anybody, but it was just like, I was so overwhelmed by the what ifs I couldn't move. I was like frozen and cemented to the spot. And I just broke into tears mm-hmm. and my husband's like, okay, you know, I think it's, I think it's time we, we need to get more help. And I also want to say like, I, I had therapy the entire time. We, we had couples counseling, like we were doing telehealth, but what I didn't see, I hadn't yet ta- thought about medication mm. or talking to a psychiatrist. Mm. And so I made an appointment with a psychiatrist, which was scary. And, you know, there's a lot of judgment around that in the wellness community too. And, you know, I'm like uh, meditation, yoga, none of those things were necessarily working. And I made the decision to go on a, um, an SSRI and it was like literally like a switch went off Mm. in my brain and where everything just felt so jammed and so noisy and so terrifying. I started to have more space and I could start to recognize that's, that's just an intrusive thought. That's not me. That's either my survival (laughs) evolutionary response of thinking of the worst case scenario or what, you know, we learn or when they're even thinking of yourself doing these actions, I could separate the thought from who I was as a person. 
And it really took intensive uh, therapy, like, you know, upping my therapy, trying out the meds for a bit. I'm still on them. Um, and, and, but it, it saved my life. And then when I had the space, cause I couldn't do it before the space, that's when I was like, oh, my yoga practice can also help me with this. Mm-hmm. And that's when, like, when the thought would arise and I had the space to recognize it, I could be like, let's choose a different thought, Sarah. So, you know, I always like, I use the example of like, my son likes to play on this chair. <laughs> He's always like tipping it. And like in my head, I'm like, oh my God, don't even sit there. You know? Like he's going to fall. He's going to fall. So if if I have that impulse and obviously, you know, you, you, you need to keep your kids safe, but if it's distracting you and it's overwhelming you and it's all you can think about and I can't focus on you because I'm staring at him, I can, I can repeat to myself, he's safe right now. He's safe right now. Or I'm right here. You know, I'm right here. And so I, I just want to be very clear that like it had the first step had to be the meds for me because my postpartum anxiety was so bad, um, so severe as uh, that's the term we use in mental health. And um, but then then the yoga was able to be another incredible tool in my toolkit. And I'm just the biggest fan of using reframing. I call them mantras, you know, to literally change your mind. Because as we said in the very beginning, that's really what the practice was designed for. It was a like a study in the mind and how to find calm and peace and space. Mm. Now, how do you kind of, you know, as you were talking about having your kiddos there and, you know, pushing those thoughts away and just noticing, like saying the mantras, how do you kind of hold space in your own life as a parent while also letting go at the same time? You know, how does that kind of look like in your life? letting go of what of like <laughs> this was one of your chapters I, I have anxiety like, even just when you say letting go I'm like oh gosh letting go of what letting go of my attachment to my old practice letting go of whatever their favorite letting okay. go of just like <laughs> them maybe in general so that was something letting that I kind hard. of you yeah. know I think that's something that's you know hey we have to have it together we have to hold that space but then also letting go of maybe the outcomes that you expect for them yeah. or you know as they get older you're like oh I played this sport. I think they should, I did yoga. They should like yoga, you know, Mm. little things like that, that come in as a parent. How do you kind of manage that? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, there's like the little L letting go and the big L letting go, right. The little L letting go of like, they're not eating what's on my plate. I made them this whole meal. (laughs) I worked so hard to the big L of like, my friends are now sending their kids off to college, Mm. you know? So it's, yes, there's, Ooh, parenting is chock full of these moments of letting go. I, I, I think we have to talk about everything on a spectrum because it's not just the letting go. Um, it really is the showing up and being present and holding space and, and knowing that you're fully, you you've done the best that you could in whatever the moment is, and then you have to let go of it. And you can't have one without the other. So we can't just let go and be like, yeah, eat what you want, go where you, I mean, I'm sure some people do, but you know, when, when things are that loose, the kids can feel that. And and there's been much research done on how kids need structure and they need containment. But then you go to the other side of that, which is like, everything needs to be perfect and regimented. And you're, you're almost getting into like, you know, what's called the authoritarian style of parenting there, where, you, you know, we're projecting onto them what results we need and everything has to be this. So it's really finding that fine line in the middle of, you know, 
yes, you work hard, you make the, you know, and you don't even have to work hard for dinner. Like also like another, I'm just going to like all wellness professionals are gonna be like, what? But I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of chicken nuggets in the microwave. Like if you're exhausted, (laughs) but you know, you, you still, you make the dinner, you present it to them. You, you know, you sit with them and what they eat is what they eat. Like letting go of the results of that is it's just, it's a way to manage your own energy it's a way to give them space to have their own experiences. And as they get older, the stakes get much higher. And mm-hmm. it's it's scary. It is scary when it's like dealing with addiction stuff or mental health aspects. Um, I am in the program of Al-Anon, which is for children, family, spouses, and friends of alcoholics. And the phrase that we use is detaching with love. Mm-hmm. And I know people hear detachment and they're like, you know, how dare you? Like, how could you? But it's it, it, it it's the with love part that I think is so, so important. We're not letting go. It's it's not a detaching in a cold sense, like you're turning your back on anything. I think it's just a pulling back and creating more space and really giving people the opportunity to make their choices. Um, you know, I mean, obviously when it comes to addiction and and those things, the stakes are, it's a little, it's, it's a little bit different, but I mean, letting your kid fall, I know I hate to say that, but like, you know, not to say you let them like, that's like terrifying to me, but let's say they do fall and you couldn't catch them in time rather than beating yourself up over it. Maybe you trust that, you know, and again, hopefully nothing's broken. Hopefully there's no hospital visit, but maybe you trust that they needed that lesson for whatever reason. Like you have to trust in their own path. Um, it's, it's, it's so hard as parents because we are also put on this planet to keep these people alive (laughs) and, you know, many of their choices are like the opposite of that, especially when they're young and they're toddlers and they're getting into everything. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you leave your cabinets open and, and all the cleaning supplies available, but um, but it really is like, you know, they try the spicy food and it's, it's you know, that let them have that experience without you being like, no, it's too spicy or they want to wear the rain boots on a, on a summer day. You know, I mean, those kind of things we can let go of and, and let them have their lesson, their experience. How do you go about setting boundaries as a parent, you know, whether it be with friends or, you know, even kiddos with their friends and what they're allowed to do and setting boundaries, you know, kind of, I guess, as a family, do you have like family values that you recommend, like everyone working together or how do you kind of go about your own boundaries? Full disclosure, I sometimes come into conflict with my partner when it comes to boundary setting because we're both come from alcoholic homes. We both have the people pleaser in us. We both will bend for others to the point of resentment and martyrdom, but I am now in the program and in Al-Anon, right. Um, and which is all about <laughs> finding your, finding your boundaries, taking care of yourself, not bending yourself into a pretzel to appease another person, because that will ultimately lead to a disconnect and, you know, resentment down the road. So we have had a little bit of like rubbing against each other when it comes to that stuff. But I will say my husband has been very open to 
Like I'm watching him be able to say like, no, we need an, we can't stay with you, you know, insert family member. We need an Airbnb or, you know, just like setting limits on time things and, you know, managing our energy as a family and, and really prioritizing the primary family over the needs of the extended family or the friends or the people around us. And he, you know, it's still challenging for him because he wants to say yes to everyone and everything. Um, but as I think now, especially with number two, you just, you have no, you have no energy to spare. So you're much more like, okay, like, you know, we're not going to do this event. We're not going to go here. We're not going to do this. Um, but, you know, I, I think it comes down to, really feeling in your body and th- and I'm speaking from the parents perspective right like I'm I'm not a parenting expert so when it comes to setting limits with your kids I I really think I just want to bring it back to us it's about what what was going on internally for us so if we're asked to do something or we've agreed to do something and or we're choosing to do something really checking in with what the body is feeling around it because there's many, many, many times that I will say yes when I do not mean it or when I start to do something, but I'm doing it out of resentment and, mm-hmm. and anger. And sometimes I'm doing it because I want the points to be to be in my family. I'm like, look at all I'm doing. I mean, this isn't like a conscious decision, but this is another way that the yoga can really slow things down is like pause breathe before you say yes. You can always say to someone, let me think about it. And before you go to do something, if you notice the knot in your stomach, pause and breathe. Do you really have to do all of those dishes right now? Do you really have to fold the laundry in this moment while you're also trying to wrangle two kids and get them out the door? And we just start to become more conscious of our choices and more intentional and the boundaries, they present themselves. Mm-hmm. We're just, we start to feel the edges of them, right? I like to describe boundaries as knowing where we end and where someone else begins. And, and when we have our boundaries can be very rigid. Now the boundaries can go the other way too, right? We can have way too strict of boundaries. And, and I've gone through periods of that in my life where I was like, will not eat this food, will not go here, will not see this person, will not date. Like everything is had to be around my practice. Um, and with kids that could be like, you know, these are the rules and, you know, that like, good luck, right. Uh, kids <laughs> having like such harsh rules. Um, but yeah, I think it's just finding that middle and really tuning into you, what feels authentic to you. And, and when it does come, I do want to say with the limit setting with the kids, it, it's the flexibility of it. Like, yes, there, we have some rules that are, this is a hard rule. Like th- th- this is not happening. And like, you always wear a helmet when you're on your bike and you're on your scooter. Sorry. Like even going around the backyard in in a circle. But if my son wants to wear a sweatshirt, this just happened yesterday and it's 95 degrees outside. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to like set the limit. Like you must wear a t-shirt, you know, or like, or let's say the opposite, right. As we get into more rainy seasons, I'm not going to demand he wear a raincoat, but I will offer the raincoat to come with him. And then, you know, it's, it's the, the, the really getting flexible to know like, okay, you know, this is, is this really worth the power struggle? Am I really setting a limit here or am I keeping him safe? You know, it's just that constantly checking in, like what, where is the decision coming from and what is it bringing up in you and that it changes. It, it always changes. 
I mean, I could still relate. I just had this happen last week. I said yes when I should have said no to like a work thing. Mm. And I, as soon as I did it, my gut was like, yes, this, this is a no. This is a no. Now, of course, I have to have an uncomfortable conversation because I'm like, oh man. And it was instant. It was like right away I knew when I was like in my head, I'm even thinking, why did I just say yes? Like people pleaser, like let yep. me just go through and I'm face to face with this person and they're excited now. And I'm like, oh, I'm going the opposite way. Shoot. So, I mean, I totally can relate to the boundaries and just like listening to your gut. I mean, once you have that kind of relationship like with yourself and you like know instantly when it was like, nope, that was not the answer I should have said. I think that gives you clarity. And um, again, it might, you might strike out a few times like myself before, you know, you were like, okay, let me, let me think about it would have been a better answer. Well, I, so like two things about that. The first thing is that and I do it too. Like we say yes. And then the feeling comes. So like how. It's like, how can we slow down enough to get to the feeling? Well, like, like you just said, right. I think the, I think answering just by default, when you're asked to do something, especially as a busy parent that, you know, I have to talk to my, if you have a partner, I have to talk to my partner, or I need a moment to think about that. I need to look at my schedule. We have every right. We, even when we're single and uncoupled and, you know, no kids, we have every right to take a pause, to ask for the pause to then tap into that feeling. And the other thing I want to say is that a lot of people are disconnected from their bodies. So a lot of us live in our heads and this is where, you know, I was saying the physical practice isn't as important as the mind work and the, the grounding stuff, but this is actually where the physical practice can be helpful. And I don't mean you need to like stick your leg behind your head, but just feeling your body in space, whether it's like pausing and breathing or, you know, sure you can do a down dog or, or a cat cow, you know, where you're moving your spine, but movement is a wonderful way to really key us into sensation. And it starts as like, oh, I'm lifting my arm. I feel that. And then it goes much deeper to, oh, that's a gut, that's a gut response. It's, it's something happening internally. Mm. Well, I just want to kind of pull on one more thread from your book. And I really liked the Sharentin chapter. Mm. And it's one that I also am thinking about, and you had shared in there too, about, you know, should you share kiddos faces, you know, online now? And, um, you know, cause the more I'm hearing like Jenna Kutcher, I'm in Minnesota and she's in Minnesota. And she was just sharing that she had pulled from it and just had said why, and some of the AI technology, you don't know what it's going to do with their faces. And so all of these things, and I'm like, never even thought of this. And, you know, now all of a sudden we're kind of being thrown into this of like, how much do we share online? And especially with little ones who, again, can't consent. And, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit about that and your own, maybe you're probably also probably noodling on this as well. Cause I don't, I, you know, in the book you had said, you're like, I don't have a set, like, this is where I'm at. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on it now? So when I had my first son, I, this was 20, you know, I got pregnant in 2018, right? I, or we got pregnant, sorry, and we lost that baby. I'm so sorry. So we got pregnant March, 2019. So it was like, not to say like I, that things were different then, but like, th I do think things are different four years later, as far as sharing for me personally, I was sharing everything at the time I was like going to the bathroom and taking pictures of that, you know, I mean, like not to that extent, but I just was sharing everything. And, and my husband had a very frank conversation with me because he is anti anything social media. Although he just discovered Facebook reels and he's like, have you seen these? <laughs> like, he's so funny. cute. I'm like, yes, honey, it's called TikTok. Um, and, and 
So I, you know, we, he had a very frank conversation. He's like, I don't want you sharing our son. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to share. And it was like, no, no, you're not. And then, you know, so we, we had to come to an agreement. Our agreement was I would share, I would get permission from him before I shared anything. Well, that lasted two weeks, you know, um, and it went out the door and he was just so darn cute. And I was like, oh, it's just a story. It's only up for 24 hours. And I shared and shared and shared. I shared a lot of Jonah. Um, I was very, I was very aware of like full face shots. I did always had limits. Like I would never show him with his like shirt off or naked or bums or anything like that ever. I would never, ever. Um, But, you know, like, like on his bicycle, nor will I ever show our neighborhood or the front of my house. I'm very cautious about that. But then when I got pregnant with my second, and maybe because the pregnancy was so hard and I just like, didn't even want to like, you know, with my first, I had like five photo shoots, you know, maternity photo shoots. And with my second, I had an HD pregnancy. I was like, you know, barely getting out of beds most days, but I just stopped feeling the urge to share. He was born and I almost felt like sick to my stomach. I didn't want to share. I didn't want to share his picture. I was, I would take a video or I'd make the reel and then I wouldn't share it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've obviously I stopped sharing my other son as well. Um, and I'd see my friends who like, I've got some great friends that are very successful momfluencers, if you will. And they never show their kids faces and they do a great job mm-hmm. of it. You see the backs of the heads. It's just they're very artistic and very well done. And I, I was like, oh, you know, like maybe I should have done that. Um, I haven't like gone back and erased every single piece of evidence of them. I do still share them once in a while, but it's not nearly with the frequency of what I used to. And I'm much more intentional. Like I took a picture from, of my son from behind and then I was real, I was going to make a reel with it, but then I realized his name was on there. And, And obviously I say his name all the time, but I just... It, it felt very like distinctive. Like if you see this, this kid mm-hmm. and that's the name in the back, like, you know, I don't know. There's just certain things that are giving me pause in a different way. I haven't even gone into the research for the AI of it all. I mean, I, I read headlines and I'm like, oh boy, you know, and I, I saw there was like a PSA video that went around that was that a lot of people were sharing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so hard. Um, you know, they say, I think some of the research was like before the kids turn six, there's, you know, they have 2,500 pictures of themselves up online that that was put up without consent. It's just wild. Oh, and then also having conversation if you have grandparents that take pictures Mm. too, and seeing that. Oh, that's an important conversation. I always tell family members, like if I I see, you know, they're taking a picture of them in the bath. I'm like, absolutely Mm. not. No. No. And I asked my sister, you can, you can, that's an important boundary you can set with your family members and they, they should respect it. It's just hard because not everybody does, you know, Wow, that was similarly with my neighbors. I'm like a neighbor posted something and it was clearly outside of our home and Mm -hmm. uh, they tagged me and like, I, I didn't ask them to take it down, but I, I'm not resharing that. You know, I have 15,000 followers and I don't know most of those people, right? I mean, the, I, I, most of them are lovely, I'm sure, but I'm sure there's some randoms and who knows what they're, it's being used for. So, you know, I think we we have the choices, we have the power and some people are going to choose to never to never share a face and others just can be intentional um, and just being, you know, you got to check in with that boundary again, that internal boundary. Yes. I mean, all of the parenting stuff, our parents didn't have to think about that. We're like, okay. 
got another little thing thrown our way. So, yes. Well, I would love to know what kind of inspired you to write the yoga of parenting. You know, what was your inspiration for writing this book? When did you start writing it? Um, I started writing it. <clears throat> I got the idea for it when Jonah was like a, a little over a year because I had been seeking resources. I'd been like looking for a specific resource. You know, there were great parenting books. There was great mindfulness books. There was good mindful parenting books. There were great yoga books, but there wasn't <laughs> anything that was like yoga and parenting. Um, now, mindfully parenting is different because it comes from, it's a little bit more secular. It comes from the Buddhist pers perspective. The languaging is different. It's just a different, it's a different technique. I mean, it's all the same thing when you get down to it, which is just like that deep connection, but it was just a different technique, different language. And I was like, there were certain things that I, that weren't being discussed that I really wanted to talk about energy management, you know, mm -hmm. what we call prana, the idea boundaries, you and I are calling it boundaries, but you know, we consider it stira sukha, which is like this scale of strong boundaries and light boundaries, or we talked about non-attachment, which is another concept. Um, so I was like, well, there, there's a huge gap for this. I, I need this information. I'm hungry for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing that that's important to note is that a lot of the parenting books I read were motivational, sure, but many of them left me feeling really bad about myself. And like, just, it was like another thing that I have to remember and I have to do this perfectly. And I, uh, you know, I, I was like, where is the book that speaking my language that has permission and space that's more of an inquiry as opposed to like a how-to manual? Um, like, it's more like I, you know, I used to say it's a how are you manual instead of a how-to manual. Um, and, you know, obviously my son was quite young at the time. I, I you know, did, had not had much parenting experience by that point. So my, uh, it was, my impulse was let, let's make this collaborative. Let's talk to every single person that's ever inspired you and experts and, you know, go back to the texts, go into psychological research. Cause I'm big into like psychology and brain research and I put it all together and I was like, oh my goodness, this, we have a book. I love it. Oh, and it's beautiful. Yes. Thank I just you. finished it and Thank I love it. And I love the other stories that you share from other people and, um, the, you know, the yoga poses that you throw in there for each chapter as well. So highly recommend if anyone's curious about getting the book and they can get it at Amazon or wherever people Anywhere. sell books. Yeah. Yeah. And if you get it on audible, it's me <laughs> reading it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then where can people connect with you if they want more Sarah? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my yoga, my yoga, my website is Sarah Ezrin yoga. Um, that's got all of our upcoming like tour dates and, you know, and I think you and I mentioned this will be airing in September. So I've got a couple, I'm heading out next week for East coast, but, um, there's a couple more things coming up and just always things we're adding. And then Instagram, I, I like, you know, I, I hesitate to say it after the sharing <laughs> conversation, but, uh, I'm definitely very active on Instagram. I mean, you and I connected on there. Um, but yeah, Sarah Ezrin yoga is my page and, I mean, I'm happy to connect anywhere. You can direct message me. You could email me. Um, you can come and join us for a book event in person. Love it. Well, I just have one final question. I always like to end with the weekly challenge. And then when I have a guest on, I have you throw out a challenge to all the listeners. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? I think like, it's funny. And I knew this was coming, but I'm like, I'm so glad I waited to decide until we had our chat because it, I'm, I'm going to challenge everybody to take a beat before making a decision, before agreeing to do something. 
And specifically, you know, there's like, we can make it really broad and it can be about your entire, you know, every decision that you're asked. But let's just say it's something that a third party is asking you to do for you to take a beat, whether that's taking a breath and checking in, or as we said, saying, you know, I need a minute or I need to talk to someone or I need to look at my schedule for a full week when you're being asked to do something. And it doesn't, you know, by a third party, right? We're not even talking about our kids. Just like when your aunt asks you to do something or your friend or your neighbor or the stranger, take a beat and see what the answer is. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on and sharing about your book and all the wisdom that you have to offer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.